for singing with me. I love that song, I Surrender All, Giving My Heart Away. So today, what I want to do is have a conversation with you. I want to talk. We're going to talk together. We have a very intimate group, so it makes it possible for us to have a conversation. What we're going to talk about is really fitting because today's Father's Day, and I want to wish all the fathers in the audience a happy Father's Day, and I especially want to wish my husband over there in the corner sitting with our three boys, a fantastic Father's Day. He's one of the best fathers that I know. He's not only been my husband, but he's also been sort of a, of a father to me. So, honey, happy Father's Day. He's already had his breakfast this morning, so. <laughs> so I want to talk to you about the love of a father. And I'll start by telling you a story. The story is about a girl named Elmira. Elmira grew in a very poor city uh, with her mom and dad, and she had three siblings, so there was four of them living together. When she was 17 years old, her father died suddenly, and she was the oldest, so her mom needed help. Elmira had to leave her hometown, where she knows everybody, to go into the big city to look for a job, to help the family, to help raise the other children. And that's a very common thing that has happened a lot in a lot of families where the oldest have to go and help out. So through some friends, through some connections, she left and went to a bigger city and got a job working at a wealthy family's home as a housekeeper. And lucky for her, they let her live in the house. So not only was she able to make a little money to help her family, but she had a place to live and she had food to eat. So this was really working out for her, but she was only 17, so she was really young. And the family wanted to do an extension to the house. So they were going to do a build-out, and they hired a contractor to come and help them do the build-out. 
The contractor was a young man as well. Now, he was about 28 years old. She was 17, so he was a little older than her, but she was very beautiful. She had really dark, long, curly hair and a very, very pretty girl. So when he saw her, he was taken with her, and he just pursued her throughout the house. As you know, contractors will say to you that a work will take, what, two weeks, right? And it takes two years before it's ever finished. So he was coming around the house a lot, and they got really close with each other. Now, being 17, she was very naive, and there's a lot of things she really didn't know about men especially. So, but she fell really bad for this guy. Over the two to three years that this project lasted, she got pregnant by him two times. And she ended up having two babies. Now, I mean, you would think after the first baby, she'd start saying, okay, <laughs> um, we need to talk about getting serious. I need to know who you are. I need to know where you live. I need to meet your family. But she really never thought about it because she thought he was going to marry her and they were going to live together happily ever after. So as the project drew to a close, she started talking to him, saying, you know, I have two kids now. My bosses are great. They're letting me stay in the house even with my kids, but this can't go on like this. We need to make a decision, right? I mean, how would you guys feel if you were in that situation? Girls, ladies, you would start asking this guy, where, where is this going? So he says to her, Elmira, look, I, I like you. I really liked you, but it was never my intention to have kids with you. You were the one who got pregnant. I didn't want to have any babies. I, don't, I was just really looking for some fun. I wasn't looking for anything serious. Besides, I'm married, and I already have kids of my own. So Elmira was crushed. She had no idea where he lived, where he stayed. She didn't know anything about him, except he came to the house, and that's how they got to know each other. So here she was with two children and a real deadbeat dad. So he left, and she stayed in the house for a little bit longer, raising her boys. They were very close in age, about 18 months, well, less than 18 months, about a year apart they were. And uh, so she was raising her kids. And as, uh, I guess as luck could have it in her case, you would say, she met another man. Now, she was a little bit older, had a little more experience. So this time she was not about to repeat the same mistake. And luckily for her, this guy really fell in love with her. And he married her. And he took her out of this family's house and brought her into his home. These two boys finally had a dad. Now, no, uh, mind you, they do not know who their father was. They've never met him. They've never seen him. So this man took care of the family, loved those boys as his own, and he never had children. So he was very happy to have them in his house. And things were going really, really great for Elmira and her two boys. And then suddenly, unexpected, her husband dies. This was the second time, really the third time, that a man had left her. Her father died when she was 17 years old, and she had to sort of take the role of a man to care for the rest of the family. 
then the first love of her life walked away. And then the finally, someone who could redeem her, who could give her that experience, dies. How would you guys feel? Where would you be? Give me some feelings. We're talking, right? Conversation. Broken. What else? Crushed. Frustrated. Sad. Disappointed. Bitter. Hopeless. Angry. Devastated. Depressed. Those are all feelings that Elmira experienced. Now, these two boys also experienced those feelings, too, because they never had a dad. And the one hope they had was taken from them. So the story is really about the two boys. And they grew up, raised themselves. They did have their dad's last name, but they never met him. And then they themselves met some young women, and they became fathers themselves. My question for you, how can they father when they've never been fathered before? How do they do that? And then they were both also introduced to the loving father, our heavenly father. The other question is, how do they relate to a loving God when they've never had a father to love them? How do you do that? And that's really what I want to talk to you about in the next few minutes. You know, in Father's Day, we all... um, spend time and think about our dads, and some of us are really excited because we have great dads, right? We surprise them <laughs> during church to just let them, to show them how much we love them. But some of us are really frustrated because we have a lot of bitterness from our dad. The experience was not that great. And sometimes we don't talk about it because it's not popular. It's not comfortable to talk about it. It's a lot easier to say, well, he's not here anymore or It is what it is. This was the experience that I had. But how do you relate to the good, good father when you never had it? When you say, and I'm loved by you, what does that mean to you if you've never experienced it? So we're going to talk about that today. So I did a little research on this, and there was a great study that happened. You guys, I'm a doctor. I always talk about studies, story. <laughs> and it was produced, it was uh, published in Science Daily. This study went on for 50 years, and they were studying the role of a father in the household and how it affects the children. Do you know that they found, out of everything else that the children has, that the love of a father is the primary determinant of the development of that child? Without the father's love, that child is kind of left empty-handed because you got to understand, that's the seed, right? That's where the baby comes from. Moms, what do we do? What do we do? <laughs> this is from a guy, by the way. <laughs> we cook the baby. <laughs> that's what we do, right? We, we nurture and hold the seed and help the seed develop. Our bodies nurture it. But the seed comes from the dad. So if you're, if the person whose seed you are rejected you, how do you receive love from God and from other people? So the two guys I talked to you about had that situation 
that um, was facing them. One of them had six children, and the other one had one son. And they struggled as to how they show this. How do they connect with their kids? What do they do for them? How do they let the kids know that they love them? So it's really three steps that I want to talk to you today. If you are in that situation, if your father was not really the best guy, what do you do and how do you truly relate to God? Because, you know, it's so easy to talk about it, right? I mean, when we sing the song, you're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's so easy when Luke is singing it. And then there is a band playing, and the, the lights are dim, and the music is playing, and somebody next to you raises their hands. You get caught up in the emotion of it as well, and you just sing it too. But what happens when you're sitting home alone, and the church is not here, and the band is not here, and then you're facing various situations in your life, diseases, disappointments, bitterness, all of those things. What happens at that moment? That's when we're supposed to feel, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. That's when that's supposed to come back, is in that moment. When we come here, it's supposed to be a manifestation of that already, not really experiencing it here. We experience it when we sit alone and you think about the day you had, and you think about who talked about you, who said what about you, or how your boss mistreats you, and all the different situations you could experience, how people uh, reject you and, and leave you. But then you remember, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. But how do you get there to that place where you remember that? Because if you have a lot of pain and bitterness, it's hard for that to come through. Uh, I don't be honest with you guys. I remember when I was um, I was in counseling with one of my uh, pastor mentors, and she asked me a question, and I share this a lot because it so impacted my life. She said, "Have you ever felt God's love?" Being the somewhat left brain person that I am, I say, "Of course, I know God's love." She said, "No, have you ever felt?" God's love. I said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would have everlasting life. I know he loves me with an everlasting love. And she said, stop. Have you ever felt God's love? And I got a little frustrated because I'm like, what, what is she trying to do? What is she asking me? And I realized I, I didn't know what she was asking because up until that point, I have heard and I know, but I hadn't felt. It's a whole different thing to feel God's love. And that's really where it really starts manifesting in you. And she said to me, your heart is filled with pain. That's why you can't feel God's love. There's no room for it. And until you allow God to empty some of the pain out and remove it, you're not really going to know what I mean when I say, have you felt 
God's love. Guys, I was really just completely oblivious as to what? <laughs> what is she talking about? I mean, I've been in church all my life. I have done pretty much everything in church. I've done the choir, the youth group, the women's group. I didn't do the men's group, but I was kind of <laughs> part of it. I've done it all. You know, I've been in it. My dad is a minister. What is she talking about? And then it hit me so hard. I had never felt God's love because of all the bitterness and the pain that was in my heart. So when you are in that place, how do you feel God's love? How do you experience it for real, alone, not when you're around people? So there's three things I want to share with you. Number one is acknowledge the truth about your situation. Don't pretend, be honest with God, yourself, and others. That's important. And sometimes we can get criticized in church if we're really honest about how we feel because it makes other people uncomfortable. Um, There's a great story in the Bible in in Matthew chapter 9 where this guy has a son who has a mute spirit. And I love that story because of what it demonstrates in the, the mercy and the grace of God. So he comes to the disciples and asks them if they could pray for the son and cast the spirit out. Well, they did, but nothing happened. So Jesus is coming in just about the time where they're kind of having an argument, and he's like, what is going on? What's going on here? And the guy says, Master, I brought my son to your disciples, right, because they are your representative. And I brought my son so they can pray for him, and then he could be healed. But they didn't. What's that all about? And Jesus said, bring me the boy. So they bring the boy to Jesus. And as the boy comes, <laughs> the spirit has a tantrum. It's really funny because it drops himself down and start foaming in the mouth. And I realize, wow, demons can have a tantrum too. It's not just children. <laughs> and then Jesus looked at the boy in compassion and says to the dad, how long has it been like that? And the dad said, he's been like this for a very long time. And this, this spirit is really, really hurting him. If you can, please do something for us. And Jesus said, what did he say? You guys know the story. What did he say? If you can. (laughs) If you believe, anything is possible. And the guy responds to Jesus with an answer that completely blew my mind away. And this answer for me is an out when I'm in a difficult situation and I don't know what to do. He said to Jesus, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. And you know what? The Bible talks about the double-minded man or the double-minded person, that he shall never receive anything from God. But this guy was clearly double-minded. He believed, but also had doubt. Now, why did he have doubt? He had doubt because the representatives of Jesus did not fulfill that responsibility. They failed the guy. So your father is a representative of God. And then when he fails, you automatically assume that God is the same way. And that's how you approach God. That's why sometimes when we pray, we beg, please, God, help me. We don't pray from from the position of someone who's talking to someone who loves me. When you talk to someone who loves you, you don't beg them, right? You ask them. And then when you ask them, you expect 
for them to give because you know what? They love me. If you're begging, it's probably because you're not sure if he loves me. So this guy was disappointed by Jesus' disciples, and he assumed automatically that Jesus did not have the power to fully do this. But then God gave him such grace when he admitted to Jesus, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. This is one of the few times in the Bible when a double-minded man did get something from God. So that's why I say, don't pretend. Tell God the truth. If you're hurting, if your dad did something to you and, and you're really hurting about it, tell God the truth. This hurts me. I want to believe that you love me, but it's hard because every time I think of the word father, I think of him. And that's what I see. I need your help. That's the prayer to do. And God is gracious enough to heal you when you ask that prayer. So the first thing is acknowledge the truth, right? Be honest. God bless you. Be honest about your feelings, about your situations with God. When John 3, John 8, 32, the Bible said the truth shall do what? Set you free. So be honest. The second thing you should do is forgive. Forgiveness is hard, you guys. Forgiveness is not easy because there's a part of you that says, but he did this to me, but it's not right. And, you know, there's a part that feels if you forgive the person, they somehow get away with murder, right? If you forgive them that they didn't pay for what they did, they got away with it. I can't do that. There should be justice. Something should happen. It's just wrong. So we struggle with that. And the second step is to really forgive. And I could quote scriptures to you guys about forgiveness, but you all know that is very important. So I'll tell you a story about it. There was a guy, a gentleman, who got into an accident, and it was a snowmobile accident while he was with his kids and just having a good time. And he caused some serious damage to his vertebrae, his, his spinal column. And he was in a lot of pain, a lot of pain. So he finally went to the doctor <laughs> after the accident. And you wonder what took him so long? Why didn't he go? You know, but he finally goes, and the doctor told him that he has a lot of discs that are broken in his neck. And it's actually a miracle that he survived. So he went, and they told him he needed surgery to help repair some of those discs. He did the surgery, and after he did the surgery, the pain got better. But for some reason, he started having, he started losing feelings in his fingers, his toes, like his periphery. He started losing feelings in this area. And when he went back to the doctor, they, they were kind of perplexed because they didn't really know what was happening to him because it didn't really follow what should happen after the surgery. So this went on for a few months, and it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And then finally, he was diagnosed with peripheral neuropathy. And the doctor said to him, we can't figure out where this is coming from. And if this doesn't get better, you will die in less than two years. So he had a death sentence and didn't know what to do 
and in having a conversation with his sister, his sister said, you know, um, my doctor had told me that I had breast cancer, and then this minister told me to practice forgiveness and to look for people in my heart that I was angry and bitter about, and then just start forgiving them. And she said, as I started doing that, I was completely healed of the breast cancer. Why don't you try it? He said, I, I, I have the one to forgive. I mean, I, I'm not angry at anybody, you know, and, and I don't really understand why this is all happening to me right now. It seems very unfair. But then he only had, what, two years left to live? I mean, what has he got to lose? So he decided to, I'll try I'll try what she says. I'll try to see if there's anybody I need to forgive. So he started doing this one hour at a time. He would sit and just kind of think in his mind, who do I need to forgive? And for a few days, nothing came up. Like He couldn't think of anything. And he started saying to God, if there's somebody I need to forgive, please help me. And as he began to pray that, his memory started coming back, and he remembered that his father had walked out on them as a child. His mom, he walked out of the family, and they had to be raised by the mom alone. And all these years, he always said, it doesn't bother me. It is what it is. I mean, the guy was the way he is. I'm not like him. I'm my own person. I'm not going to let what he did stop me and stop who I am. But what he never realized is that he was angry. He was bitter. And he really just hated what the father did to him. And all of these feelings, remember the ones we talked about Elmira? They were all inside of him, but they were repressed. And he just never allowed them to come out. And as those feelings started coming up, the memories started coming up, he started crying. He started remembering how the father was mean and how he just really had a bad experience with him. And then he realized, I need to forgive my father. Of course, at this time, his father had been dead, so it wasn't possible for him to go speak with that and try to make peace with that. He really had to just let God do that healing work inside of him. And as he realized, and as he prayed about this, he realized not only was he angry with his father, he was also angry with God. He was angry with God for not protecting him from this father, for giving him that kind of man to father him. How can you say you're loving God when you allow this man to father me? These were all feelings he had inside that he never really uh, got in touch with. And he realized he was further angry because as good as a person as he's been, as much as he's worked in his life, God still allowed him to get into a car, into an accident but now he only has two years left to live. This is unfair. He was very angry. And he realized, I have a lot of bitterness that I didn't know about. And he realized he needed to forgive. This process took a whole year for him to pray, for him to release it, for him to get to a place of forgiveness. And you know, as he forgave, he was healed totally. All his sensations came back. His body started working normally, and he was back to work again. Now, people started hearing the story, and they started calling him at work, saying, hey, 
I have this problem. I have this illness. I heard you. What did you do? What did you do? How'd you get healed? And he would tell them what he did. And after speaking to so many people, he realized there was a calling in his life. He went back to school and got his doctorate in counseling. And he founded Wellsprings Ministries. And he preached to people every day about this healing. But this all happened after he forgave. And see, I wrote down his name. It was Art Matthias. That's a true story. And what's interesting about the story is that the very situation that he thought was meant to hurt him is the situation God used to bring total healing to his life. He didn't just get healed physically, but he was healed in his heart wholeheartedly. That's the power of forgiveness. But forgiveness is not easy, you guys, which is why it's important to be honest about it. It's important to really ask God, help me to forgive, right? I believe, but help me with my unbelief until that can finally come out in your heart. So first thing you should do is be honest with yourself, with God, and with others, right? It's easy for us to pray and be honest with God and ourselves because there's nobody else there. It's a lot harder to be honest with others. But the Bible says confess your sins to who? One another that you may be what? Healed. Confess your sins. Your sins is not just um, um, someone you kind of gave a very interesting greeting to when you're driving, if you get my drift. <laughs> you wave your hands to with the wrong finger when you're driving. That's one of the sins that you do. It's not saying something mean to your children or to your wife. That's one of the sins. But you can also confess things that are deep inside your heart to somebody else. Because when you do that, the healing does really take place in your heart. So the third thing you should do if you're in a situation where you don't know how to relate to God is to open your heart to connect with other people. God loves us, right, you guys? When we're in his presence, we feel his presence. But how many of you have been hugged by God? Yes? You felt his physical hands hug you? Yes? You felt his presence come over you. But has his physical hands hugged you? No. Right? Because God is spirit. He's not flesh and blood. Jesus said to my disciples, to the disciples, well, let me ask you, how do they know that you are my disciples? What did Jesus say? How do they know? How do people know? By the way we what? Love who? One another. That's how people know that we are Jesus' disciples. These are not my words. These are actually Jesus' words. He said, people will know that you are my disciples by the way you love one another. Not just by the way you raise your hands when we do the praise and worship service. Not by the amount of amens you stay when we are in the sermon, when we are preaching, when you're hearing the sermon. Not by the amount of uh, uh, volunteer that you do to help the church of Jesus Christ. But people know that you are his disciples by the way we what? Love who? One another. 
And I think sometimes we've kind of falling off of that. And, you know, our churches sometimes become more about um, a lot of, uh, oh, let's see, how do I say that? A lot of experiences we create in our services for people to have a lot of emotional experiences, which is very good because God moves through our emotions. But a lot of times we miss the connection that we're supposed to have with one another, that love. Because God's love, you guys, is experienced between me and you. That's where it is manifested. Now, when we pray, we feel the presence of God. That is great, but it is manifested when I connect with you. Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? So my connection with you, my relationship with you is where that love is manifested. So it is good that we we are honest and we express our feelings and we tell God how we feel. It is good that we ask him to help us to forgive those who hurt us or our father who hurt us. But it's really important that you connect with somebody to help you through this process. When you've been hurt a lot of times, it's very difficult to be in relationship. I mean, seriously, if your very father abandoned you, how can you trust other people to really stay with you? How can you? You don't know that. This is not an actual experience that you've had. I was listening to a neurosurgeon talk about trauma in his lecture, and he talked about um, veterans when they go to war and the trauma that they experience. And he said, if you take a soldier, you take him from the United States, and then you move him to another place where there's war, there's a part of your brain that doesn't think its purpose is to survive. I want to do a little uh, demonstration. I want you guys to close your eyes, right? And I'm going to count to three. And when I count to three, I want you to do what I tell you to do. Okay, so close your eyes. One, two, three. Make your heart stop. Did anybody do it? Was anybody able to make your heart stop? No. Why? Because the part that controls your heart is not the part that controls your thought. Right? That's the way your brain works. So that part that controls your heart, its purpose is to keep you alive. So without going too much into it, when you take a soldier and you put them into a state of war, that part is activated. Because at that place, that soldier has one objective. What's the objective? To stay alive. Because everybody else is trying to do what? Kill him. So let's imagine that that soldier stays there for about a year or so. And that part is activated every single day, every single day, every single day, every single day. And then he comes home. And then what happens? He's supposed to adapt to no bombs falling, no one with a weapon behind me. He's supposed to just walk, away, walk around and realize, this is Orlando, I'm pretty safe. So he gave the story of one of his um, patients who went to a concert, and after he'd been home, he was deployed at least seven times. And he was home finally for a while, and he went to a concert with some of his, uh, his friends. And while he was in the concert, they had a firework. And then the, the firework just went boom. And he did not even think about it. He didn't have time to. He just jumped and just pushed everybody in front of him down on the ground. And the soldier said, as soon as I did that, I knew I was making a complete fool out of myself. But I had no time to think it through because that part of me, 
that's supposed to help me survive kicked in right away and reacted a lot faster. Why do I share all this with you? When you've been hurt, especially as a child, you can't really reason things out really well. That part is registering that. And it becomes wired a certain way. So when you see people, the way you relate to them is based on this wiring that you have inside your head. That's why sometimes you repeat the same behavior. You repeat the same situation. You find yourself in the same situation over and over and over because there's a part of you that is wired to survive. And that part learned how to do that when you were in the experience with your dad. So if the experience was really bad, you learned that the only way to survive is to hide in my room. Don't come out. Because if I come out, I can get a beating or he'll do something bad to me. That becomes a way you relate to people. When people start getting really close to you, you start to freak out a little bit. And you go, I better go back to where? My room. And the weirdest thing about it is you're not always aware that you're doing this. Because that part is automatic, and it registers those experiences. So if you're not in relationship with people to relearn a new experience, it's difficult for you to truly experience the love of God. And that's the point I wanted to bring us to. In relationship with another person is where that part of your brain is going to get a new lesson, a new education, and learn a new way. Not everybody's bad. Some people are good. Some people don't walk away from you. Some people don't hit you when they get angry. Um, some people don't say bad things behind you. They are good people in this world. And that's when you start experiencing that love that God offers us to have. So what I wanted to share with you was that story earlier on that we started and those three things. I wish I could tell you that that story I shared with you was fiction. It wasn't. Elmira was my grandmother, and she had two sons, and one of them was my dad, and the other one is the uncle. And my father had to go through these processes. That's how I learned them, is watching him and my uncle go through this and sharing their experience, their pain, their hurt with us, and I never met my grandfather till this day. I don't know if he's alive or dead. And my dad don't know his father either. How do you experience that good, good father? I'm loved by you when you've never experienced it yourself. And that's what I wanted to talk to you guys today. And what I'd like to do is give an opportunity to those of you who didn't really have a good experience to open your heart and to let God heal.